0: Welcome to Sticky Standards, Episode 31.
1: Sticky Standards. Professional learning that sticks.
0: Welcome back to Sticky Standards. This is Dana Richardson, and I'm so excited today to have a conversation, a dialogue, actually, with a very new friend of mine. This is the first time, actually, Janice, that I am visiting with someone I've never met, so this is kind of exciting. So welcome to Sticky Standards, Janice Bradley. Thank you, Dana. Much appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we start by just sharing with our listeners a little bit about you and your background?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, I'd like to consider that I've spent over 30 years of my life as a lifelong learner and educator, and I have been extremely fortunate to have had experiences at, at many different levels of our educational system. For example, at the school level, I was a classroom teacher for 20 years. At the district level, I was a K-12 mathematics specialist and professional development specialist in a very large urban area, actually Austin, Texas. Um, at the university level, I've been an adjunct professor um, at three universities. I've worked at the Charles A. Dana Center um, at the University of Texas at Austin and Cedar. Um, mm. Currently, I'm at New Mexico State University, uh, where I've worked with uh, on National Science Foundation projects. And I just accepted a new position at the Utah Education Policy Center at the University of Utah. Oh,
0: wow! There, That's me. That's exciting. (laughs) How exciting. Well, today, you know, we're going to talk about professional learning. It sounds like that's also one of your passions. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was really hard to think about the seven standards and think, you know, which one fits into what you want to visit about. And I think it kind of fits all of them I want to share first uh, Janice has written a new book and I just love the title listen to this designing schools for meaningful professional learning I think that's interesting because you have to design the schools for the learning not the learning for the schools so I that's pretty powerful it's pretty powerful uh, why is that important, Janice, to design schools for meaningful professional learning?
1: Well, educators are very busy, and from the time school-based educators step foot and onto their campus at the beginning of the year, they are faced with overwhelming initiatives—usually new initiatives. Um, they have, uh, in this context of accountability, so many new things to think about, and. They literally start moving at a pace of of about 180 miles an hour, <laughs> and what frequently happens is professional learning just gets swept away by this um, and it, this train of doing that never seems to have a pause. Mm-hmm. So it seemed important for the principals and teachers and teacher leaders I was working with a couple of years ago that they they were advocates. The principal was an advocate for professional learning and wanted very much for their schools to have places and time for teachers to invest in professional learning.
0: Wow. So as you look at those principals and those schools, how how did they enact the standards of professional learning? Uh, Because as you said... Schools are busy places.
1: Right. Well, it, it began one um, late April day sitting in the office of a principal, um, a, a leadership team, two teacher leaders, uh, a coach, and, and myself. I was the university partner, and we were um, they were a little bit concerned because so many initiatives were coming up. Um, their professional learning communities were being taken over by um, what was called data meetings and structures that they had in place to collaborate were now being taken away. Mm-hmm. And so oh. how could they begin to, to structure the school uh, years so teachers had intentional designated places to learn in very profound and impactful ways? And that was the beginning of the development of the five-part plan, using the professional learning standards to structure the school. So teachers had time to engage in a minimum of um, eight to 10 hours of professional learning during the school year.
0: So today you're gonna share with us how it actually worked in schools, aren't you? Rather than the theory, you're going to share with us how some dedicated educators, principals, classroom teachers, others made it work.
1: Yes, we, we moved from the theory and what was written into intentionally thinking about how this could occur so everyone uh, could benefit uh, from the standards for professional learning. Yes, I, I would like to share the how uh, okay. we did that.
0: Before we share the how, how do we, I guess this is a how question too. How, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, how do we create that culture or that context that's supportive of professional learning in, in actual buildings. How did mm-hmm. that happen for the buildings that you were going to be talking about?
1: Well, how it happened was having the principal. Um, the principal was absolutely an essential factor at advocating for professional learning and, and understanding how to create shared ownership and shared vision with teachers. So the principal style in the schools that implemented the five-part plan, um, the four principal styles were to include teacher voice, include teachers in the ownership of their work, and providing those support systems and structures to allow it to happen. Um, So everyone seemed to have voice and seemed to develop a a team spirit for their school supporting student learning.
0: Wow. And that is exactly the standard of leadership, isn't it? Creating those structures and Um, supports.
1: Exactly. And there was also, um, I learned too, a psychological and emotional dimension to this work is that teachers, in this context of uh, teacher evaluation, um, teachers needed a place to try some new things and to make mistakes at those and know that it wasn't a gotcha, uh, they weren't going to get dinged on their teacher evaluation. Um, they were trying some things. So uh, principals also created a a place where it was psychologically safe mm-hmm. for teachers to try new things and make mistakes.
0: And again, that, talk to us about that, because in many states right now, the whole concept of educator evaluation is um, new, and I think it's stressful and maybe misunderstood. So how do we make those connections with educator evaluation systems and professional learning that is not a gotcha?
1: Right. Well, um, it takes good, hard conversations, very focused conversations. Uh, for example, uh, one the first part of the five-part plan for designing the school was to get all the teachers in a room with the principal, get every staff member, and ask the teachers what they believe should be in every classroom every day. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievably consistent that teachers chose things that were in their teacher evaluation system. Mm -hmm. So um, after they chose the things that they believed as a staff should be, In every classroom every day, they took their teacher evaluation instrument and they found evidence that these are the things that are important. And these are the things that we need to learn more about as a staff in order to create environments that support student learning.
0: Wow. So, talk to us about this uh, model that uh, you and all those educators created. Talk to us about the steps or the components so that our listeners have an understanding of what that looks like too and how that was rolled out.
1: Well, the five-part plan um, emerged synergistically and we all decided that there was a a need for teachers to um, have focused professional learning in order to support student needs and and grow themselves. So essentially the five-part plan um, is enacted from the, the before school starts until the end of the year. So it's a full school year cycle. Okay. Um, it's It has five parts. And the first part is where the staff reaches consensus on the five key elements that should be in every classroom every day to support student learning, um, which, by the way, supports the outcomes and leadership standards. So we began with that shared vision mm-hmm. and goals mm-hmm. and a target to shoot for um, then connected that to teacher evaluation can, to know that.
0: Can I ask you a question?
1: It, yeah, please back,
0: back on that, Sherrod. Can you give us a couple of examples of what those essential things were to see in every classroom? Just some some examples that some buildings chose.
1: Well, one of them that was consistent across all four schools was student engagement. Okay. So educators, without telling them that students need needed to be engaged, believed strongly that there needed to be um, active engagement. Students needed to be highly engaged in their learning. And um, another one was um, creating a a culture of of collaboration in the classroom where students felt that they could talk with one another and um, that the learning environment needed to be set up and structured in a way uh, where students could learn in that environment. And that had many different aspects to it.
0: Exactly. Thank you. That helps. Uh, So part two.
1: Once teachers realized that the five things that they chose were actually in alignment with teacher evaluation, part two was teachers selected learning designs. So they had a menu of nine different learning designs that were informed by the work of learning forward Um, How do we apply the learning theories, research, and models? Um, They were informed by um, Lois Easton's work. Mm -hmm. They were informed by um, they had a strong research base. So essentially the teachers were given a menu. And they were asked to, in part two of the five-part plan, is to select the learning designs. So they signed up. We had posters up. We asked them to go put their name in a box and choose the design, not who they wanted to work with, but choose the design that they had some passion about and wanted to grow and learn themselves within that design.
0: So again, Janice, this was the design for the adult learning in the building, right? Yes. Okay, so this is how they wanted to learn.
1: Right. Perfect. Um, every design had had uh, one thing in common, and that, that design was a a cycle of learning designs. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. when the teachers met for a minimum of an hour, they were to plan, um, let's say that they were in um, collaborative teaching, learning, and assessing. Then they would plan their focus. Um, They would either use a planning process, plan a lesson, plan an activity, plan something that the data said needed to meet the needs of the students. Mm -hmm. So they spent an hour planning outside the classroom. Uh, The second hour was we're going into the classroom in order to test the idea, Mm -hmm. try the new thing, and um, take a look at what it is that we're learning, uh, collect some data and evidence uh, that the things we're trying make a difference. And then the third hour is to come outside of the classroom and to assess Mm -hmm. on impact of of what what was tried. So every design had a three-hour cycle. Gotcha. Wow.
0: And they got to choose.
1: And they got to choose. And it was, it was exciting. One school, for example, um, was a K-2 school. And the kindergarten first and second grade teachers were actually early childhood as well. They were isolated from one another. And they had always wanted to work together in some way. So without anyone saying anything, the school self-organized into early childhood through second grade Groups. So everyone chose a learning design cycle and um, everyone signed up for that learning design cycle. And one school in particular signed up for, uh, they organized themselves so they had a vertical progression in every one of the cycles. Perfect. Thank you. Sure.
0: So then part three.
1: Part three is to take out the school calendar. And it is to um, put your dates on the calendar in order to implement the two cycles of the learning designs. So part one was implemented between um, the end of September in order for teachers to get into the rhythm of schooling Mm -hmm. uh, and get focused on, um, you know, learning together. So cycle one was implemented any time the teachers chose between the last part of September and um Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So they signed up for dates. And then they did the same thing in the spring before the testing window. So that would be January <laughs> through the end of February. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, principals then um, uh, allocated the substitutes, or they got the necessary coverage of the classrooms, but ensured that the teachers had those support systems covered uh they had time to do this so Mm -hmm. for example some teachers wanted to do this in a three-hour cycle and they wanted to get half-day subs Mm -hmm. teachers got half-day subs and did not say the principals did not say no to the substitutes if the teachers wanted a three-hour block of time in the fall and in the Mm -hmm. spring Mm -hmm. that's one way they organized it Mm
0: -hmm. that makes sense
1: part four Uh is um they chose a date in May or June. In, in this case, it was May because the school calendar ended at the end of May. And every school chose a date, well, three of the four. Uh, one of them didn't get to do this, but they had a, a knowledge showcase. And at that, they shared their professional knowledge that they learned through the two cycles of learning designs. They shared that at the knowledge showcase with each other, and uh, they had a minimum of well, they had a maximum of 10 minutes, mm. So, uh, but they prepared some unbelievable uh, presentations to share their learning. They had video clips of students in the classrooms actually uh, doing some of the activities they'd seen on teaching channel videos. They had evidence that uh, they linked student data with the changes they'd made. They brought in posters of student work. It was just a phenomenal experience
0: and a joyful celebration
1: at the end of the year. It was a big surprise because I thought, Oh, teachers won't want to do this. I went in, I guess with lower expectations, thinking there's so much on their plate right now at the end of the year, changing principles, report cards, every, that end of the year cycle. Uh And yet at every one of these knowledge showcases, the teachers had invested in their own learning Uh and were eager and excited to share what they'd learned with their colleagues. They made PowerPoint presentations. It was really just a, a genuine um, testimony, I think, to the teacher's professionalism and investment in their own learning.
0: And the cultures of those buildings.
1: And the cultures of those buildings, exactly.
0: Absolutely. So then is there a fifth part?
1: The fifth one was don't lose The learning. The fifth one is called create a professional knowledge base. And that professional knowledge base is to take a look at what the data said, what the outcomes were, and what we don't want to lose. What is the knowledge that the teachers had created that they don't want to lose and maybe Mm. share with new colleagues if they come? So that was the last part.
0: Oh, my gosh. How exciting.
1: It was exciting. Very much so.
0: Tell us again a little bit about the four schools because there was also some high schools, right?
1: There was one high school. They were part of high schools that work. Um, it was only the mathematics department. Um, there were seven teachers on that team, okay. and uh, all but one of the teachers wanted to um, implement this plan again. It dovetailed very nicely with the high schools that work um, It took a minimum amount of preparation, but a maximum amount of learning. And so they were able to collaborate in ways that they had not been able to before. Um, One of the teams that chose the study video with application Mm -hmm. learning design uh, actually perfected my favorite no, which is one of the clips um, in an eighth grade teacher's classroom where the teachers pick a favorite mistake. And then they began to talk about how um, these mistakes are opportunities for learning. And they were very pleased with themselves at the end of the year. They were able to jump that hurdle to math being perfect, (laughs) to students being able to really think deeply about mistakes or our friends in a geometry class.
0: Mm, How exciting. It was. So when you reflect on this year of all of the teachers, for them... What do you think was their biggest surprise?
1: They used words like fun, exciting, joyful, powerful, interesting. Um, these are words I did not expect from teachers that are usually in a, a context of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest surprise as to how much they enjoyed and valued um. Their experience. They had um, opportunities to uh, begin to select their own learning designs. They had opportunities to have voice in shaping the collective vision of the school. Um, It was the adjectives they used in the final interviews that surprised me the most.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And what about the principals? What do you think surprised the principals and pleased the principals the most from this process? With this model
1: well first it was the connection to teacher evaluation hmm. um, coherence was created so the dots were connected between teachers learning and teacher evaluation wow. uh, it also allowed uh, for easier feedback for the principals uh, which a lot of them struggle with mm-hmm. uh, what kind of feedback do we give well when you tie the five agreements to what the teachers are learning in their learning designs. It's a very easy verbal thread between, here's an example. How are, uh, what strategies are being used to engage students? And of all the strategies you're using, which ones seem to be engaging them at ho- the highest levels? Mm. So they were connecting um, domain three, a domain three indicator for them on teacher evaluation with one of the five agreements. And now could go into walkthroughs and go into teacher evaluation with those five agreements in mind, which again are closely tied and identified in the teacher evaluation instrument.
0: They all felt like they owned it, didn't they?
1: That's exactly, that, that's one of the beautiful aspects of this, is everyone has a voice and is involved. Right. hmm Wow. Right
0: So of the learning designs that were chosen, um, were you able to see which one had the biggest impact in classrooms, or what is your thinking around the nine designs I think that you that were their options? Or did they choose more one or did they not choose one?
1: How did that all right. work? Um, I would say that the collaborative teaching, learning and assessing cycle probably saw the most impact because um, the planning process involved was aligned with domain one of teacher evaluation, which was um, they engaged in a highly effective planning process. Mm-hmm. When they went into the classroom, they could see how that planning process supported um, student engagement and then when they came back to reflect and assess, they had artifacts. They had iPad pictures. They had student work. Um, that probably had the broadest and deepest impact. The vertical team study, I think, would is next. For example, there was a dual language um, K-1 team that was not able to meet together anymore. They had lost all of their time for vertical connections, and they needed to connect vocabulary, Spanish and English, from kindergarten to first grade. Um, their vertical team study had an unbelievably significant impact on their student uh, scores as measured by Dibbles and other mm-hmm. assessments at the end of the year.
0: Wow. This is so exciting. This is so exciting. Just to see that it's doable. And it's doable. Well, my heavens, our our time is almost over already. Share with us just Janice's last thoughts or wisdom, maybe as there are educators listening that would like to try this or know more about it. What What would you share with them?
1: Well, I think to... Take a look at the five-part plan, see how this five-part plan creates shared ownership and vision and includes teacher voice, um, and and look and see the, the technical structural dimensions about how it is possible to create uh, structures for professional learning and, and engage in a continuous improvement cycle. So look at the five-part plan. And then the next part is to begin to um, think about that the five-part plan is not the answer, but it is one way to integrate uh, all the standards for professional learning in a powerful way. So maybe begin to think about how each school can own their work and structure their school so there's intentional um, professional learning opportunities for teachers.
0: Wow. Amen, sister. Thank you. Well, that is wonderful. (laughs) That is just so wonderful. It just blends together or connects all the dots and... Like you said, uh-huh. the coherence of it all is so exciting. So I do want to share with our, our listeners that your book is called Designing Schools for Meaningful Professional Learning, a Guidebook for Educators. And it is hot off the press, right? It is, yes. <laughs> how exciting, how exciting. And I think the other aha is that connection to educator evaluations because I think people are, are struggling with that right now, and it makes that real both of them doable, I would think. Mm -hmm. And that Educator Evaluations is about growth, not about gotcha.
1: Exactly, Dana. That's That's exactly right. That's really. Well,
0: last words of wisdom.
1: I guess last words of wisdom are um, just everybody be open to how we can continue to support each other in this work of professional learning with our ultimate goal of seeing uh, changes in student learning and achievement.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to have visited with you.
1: You're welcome, Dana. The pleasure's mine. You're listening to this podcast on Remarkable Chatter, part of the ESDAP Broadcasting Network. To find out more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.